And there came a day, a day unlike... Wait, no, that's been done. Hmm. Who knows what evil lurks and... No, that is that other thing. What has yellow skin and rights? Ah, forget it. You're listening to Panelology. Excelsior, oh, damn it. Welcome to episode 179 of Panelology. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. How's it going, Brian? It's, uh, it is going. It is definitely doing that. Yes. Two of us are not out riding tanks. <laughs> that is correct. It's a tankless job for us, yet here we are. <laughs> oh, wow. You really went there, didn't you? I did. Yeah, of course. I did, did indeed. Are you surprised? Nope. That's what I said. Of course you didn't. Yep. How was your week this week? Uh, you know what? My week was incredibly busy, but not, like, awful or bad or anything. Same. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, successfully stumbled through the entirety of Spring Awakening. All right. Everyone was pleasantly surprised, except for me. I was pleased and not surprised, because I knew we would do what we did. Good for you. Yes. As the stage manager, that's my job. Exactly. Yep. Um, and I took a day off work. I took a day off work, and I just chilled, and I watched some Riverdale, and I did some laundry, and I read some comics. But not enough comics, because I did not get to everything this week. <laughs> gonna say it up front. There are things I'm not gonna talk about that I'm mad at myself for not talking about. I'm looking at you, Sarah and the Royal Stars, and Resonant, and like six things from Marvel. <laughs> I'm sure you are all excellent. Welcome to my world for the last six months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is whenever I get into rehearsal. Yeah. At least six-day-a-week rehearsal. Let's talk about comics. Let's talk about comics. All right, we're going to warm up. I'm going to toss you a nice, easy one. Uh Bronze Age Boogie, number six. (laughs) So this wrapped up. uh, This is the last issue of this. There there may or may not be more. Um, I'm sure it's probably going to be dependent on on sales and the trade sales. Um, This was just a fun, goofy book. Um, I think it will read better in trade. just because I think it would benefit from having kind of the whole the whole story all at once. Yeah. Um, it is, you know, kind of a Misty Night 70s disco, uh, uh, Misty Night ass-kicking girl. Awesome. And uh, also, like, a teenage Red Sonja type, and, you know, daughter of the Barbarian King. And, like, there's just this whole goofiness. There's Martians, there's robots, there's... It is it, straight up pulp. It is all over the place. And it's, it is, it's exactly that. I mean, if you're, if you're not looking for that goofiness, then, you know, that's not it. But if you do enjoy that and you're, you're ready for it, this would be a fun trade to have. Yep. Literally has Bronze Age in the title. Yeah, Bronze Age Boogie. Like, come on. There's a yeah. talking monk, a chimpanzee. I mean, yeah, the word. <laughs> How about, gonna go for a, a, a twofer of Brian books, Ether, The Disappearance of Violet Bell, number one. Oh, man, this is so, so good. This is uh, this is Matt Kent uh, coming up with the, the, the next arc of this, and some time has passed, and um, Boondias is not in the best of places following kind of what happens at the end of the second arc. Um, but he, for reasons, he is, has to get back involved. And, uh, you know, 
characters have definitely, and the situation has definitely changed. The landscape is a bit different. The situation Jersey Shore character? <laughs> no. Um. No. Um... I was about to say, I'm going to have to catch up real quick if the situation shows up in this. Because oh. that would be a uh, tonal shift. That would be a tonal shift. Um, but he talks about, he is staying at this place, which is the, uh, it's the monument to the seven lucky gods. right? Mm-hmm. And this, this character who's talking to him about it then proceeds to tell you the story of each of the seven gods. Who, like, basically, essentially have all been captured and their essence is drained over the millennia for their power. And Boone's like, how are these the lucky gods? And he's like, I was about to say, well, they're not very lucky, are they? He was like, well, they survived. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I guess it's all perspective, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I guess. Tell I that mean, to uh, Sisyphus, though. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so anyway, I, yeah. Super, super good. Uh, I, yeah, we get right back into it, and I can't wait. Awesome. Yeah. Action Comics, number 1015. Or... How Naomi Met Superman. How Naomi Met Superman. Uh, you know what else? You know what else is great about this book, Alec? What's that? It's got my quote of the week. Brian's quote of the week. Quote, quote, quote. <laughs> so, um, Naomi is talking to Superman uh, outside of the Daily Planet, and like when she landed, she like crashed into the food cart and destroyed it, and this whole thing. And uh, she's like, oh, God, I can't believe I did this. And Superman's like, that's okay. And he, like, zips around and puts the, puts it back together. And he's like, oh, I got this. That's Reuben. We go way back. He's been selling amazing food outside the planet for years. This is hardly the first time I've had to pick up his truck. And you hear Reuben go, you clean the grill again. What is wrong with you? <laughs> 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 Love you, Reuben. Can you tell Lois Lane she owes me $42? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. No New York street vendor wants their grill cleaned, man. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's Superman just trying to be helpful. Uh, so, so good. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, the rest of this issue. You uh, you only read a little bit of Naomi. I, I basically, I think maybe the first two, but definitely the first yeah. one. I think this probably gives you a pretty good catch-up of kind of where she winds up by the end of her book. Uh-huh. Um, what'd you think of, of seeing her in action in this? I love the kind of uh, foundling, you know trying to make their way through this whole thing and not knowing what they're doing and, you know, making mistakes and, you know, kind of the, the fawn learning to walk, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really like, because there are the obvious parallels between her and Superman and they get oh, sure. into those. I think my favorite moment in this is when Batman has sneaked <laughs> in and startled her. And, you know, there's the, Bats, why do you do that? Because now we've learned things. Uh-huh. And then they're talking, and Batman's like, my parents died, too. My parents were killed, too. Like, uh-huh. Batman tries to bond. <laughs> yes. Why'd you call this guy? He's got the most experience with kids. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no, that's not, not, not that way, though. No. <laughs> that's so awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh... The wonder yep. interns show up. There are there are some very definite moments in this, which is which is good. Um, but like uh, you know, like you said, the Batman thing. He's she's like you know, does it ever go away? And he's like, no. And they just kind of look at each other, right? And her response is good. Like I don't want smirks. it to go. And then he has a little bit of a smile, right? It's like okay, she gets it. Yeah. So that's the thing is she's that kind of that like I said that that fawn learning to walk or in this case fly, right? <laughs> 
yeah. but land really land really uh which was okay i'm gonna interrupt real quick which was like so great Amer- greatest american hero ever <laughs> <laughs> it was so good um but um uh she's not portrayed like like stupid or naive yeah yeah, like like she's smart. She got it together. This is just a whole new experience that she doesn't know how to deal with. Yeah, like yeah. I love the way Bendis writes her, which is just out of her element and a little anxious about it. Right. But trying and like actively doing the right things. Yeah. You even get this moment where Superman's fighting Red Cloud and he's like, Yeah, this kid has had her powers for five minutes and already found me. Yep. Like she's already doing better than you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Super, super good. I love it. I love it so much. I, can I mention something else that I don't think we've talked about in this? Yeah. So, like, the last probably five or six issues of this, we've had either on a computer screen or on a tablet in this case or whatever, we get, like, the home page of the Daily Planet. That's how they're doing a recap page for this, right. essentially. And it's, you know, it's got, you know, who to follow is, like, Twitter, whatever they call it in the DC universe, yeah. the Twitter links and, like, you know, a couple of ads, and then it's got, like, the page, and it's all of these active stories that are going on in the yeah. DC universe. Like, you know, who are the infected, you know... Who is Leviathan? All this stuff. It is just a super cool little... I like how yeah. that's being presented. Anyway. Who yes. is Timmy Olsen? Who is Timmy Olsen? Yes. <laughs> the multiverse map and how to read it. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. That one was funny to me because, like, there's a line of the issue about most people have never seen this map, let alone know there is a multiverse. I am one of them. And then on the page of the, da- the front page of the day... <laughs> I know, like, right? How to read the multiverse map. Yeah, or, like, uh, the ad for Planet Krypton, the world's first number one Superman-themed restaurant. <laughs> like, <of laughs> I feel like course. we've seen Planet Krypton in something recently, too. It's like, it's like there you know there would be a Planet Krypton of superheroes. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a Batburger, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Come on. <laughs> Those good, good Jokerized fries. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Batman Superman number two, speaking of being Jokerized. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Shit. Zam. Billy, Bat- <laughs> Billy Batson makes a good bad guy. Doesn't he? Yeah. I like- mean, if there's anyone, like, okay, the whole Magic Beats Superman thing aside, if there's anyone who's just perfectly set up to manipulate Superman and be like, oh, oh golly gee willikers, there's this voice in my head, Mr. Superman. Uh-huh. Yes. And of course Superman's gonna want to believe that the kid is innocent. Of course he is. Like, he's made that way. It's built yeah. into him. Yeah. But it, it, it... So you get you get the the Shazam with you know these dark powers who uh, this insatiable desire to do this and you get then you get what is essentially the creepy kid from a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like oh shit, <laughs> I love it. I want this, and you know I'm looking so forward to these uh, to the other infected that are coming up. I know you are. Oh, so so much. Um, or. It, so my, uh, it, it, had we still good at this, my take was going to be, break a leg, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Superman looks rough at the end of this, huh? Yeah, he does. Or, or Curtain in Five, Mr. Kent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. 
part of what I love so much about this is Bats and Superman are trying very, very hard to play the Batman who laughs. Oh. Who is playing them just as easily. Oh, yeah. At like, least as so, well. Yeah. yeah. It is so very much like there is no way that Batman and Superman are ahead of them, but you want are ahead of the, the Joker and the or the Batman who laughs and the infected. Right. But you want them to be. Of course you do. Like, you want to believe that, yes, this is actually going to work. You want to see the trick reveal, and you're waiting for how they really are a step ahead. You're waiting for the double reverse, yes. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't think it's going to come. Not anytime soon. I don't think it's going to come soon, and I don't think it's going to come in the way they imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You said you caught up on this one, right? Yeah, I read both of them. One and two. Did you uh, catch which Superman that was at the beginning of number one? Because it wasn't this Superman. Oh, gosh, I don't remember now. It was New 52 Superman. Oh, was it? It was the suit design for New 52 Superman. Ah, okay. Yeah, or at least one very, very similar to that design. Yeah. So I think I think the Joker who laughs already has a Superman. Oh, that would be good. Oh, that, uh, that, there's all kinds of questions about that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Super interesting. Can't wait for more. All right. And now everyone can just pull up a chair and get cozy because we're going to talk about Harleen number one. Oh, you can get cozy because I'll be here for a while. Now, I am contractually obligated to do this, so Harleen, Harleen, <laughs> Harleen, Harleen. Oh, so this is by, I mean, there's no secret here. Alex and I, and Jen for that matter, we happen to know this. Stepan Shayek is like one of our favorite creators right now. Yeah. Art, story, like, just everything. We we love Mis- Mr. Shayek. And, and we have been looking forward to this DC project of his for a very long time. This was yes. announced close to a couple of years ago, I want to say. Yeah, he hinted at it a while ago, and there was about three or four months where he was like, yeah, I got this project, but we're not, I can't tell you what it is yet. Well, and there then... was, it was basically announced around the same time as Black Mask that he was doing a book for DC, and then that it was a Black Mask book. He couldn't say what until Black previously. Label. Yeah, Black, Black Label. Label, sorry. yeah. yeah. I always do that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is a long time coming. Yeah. And Brian, was it worth the wait? <sighs> so, so much. So, a couple things. One, um, just super, super quick recap. This is the story about Harleen Quinzel when she very, as Harleen Quinzel, when she very, very first meets Joker, like even before going to Arkham Asylum. Sorry, did you say Quinzel? Or is that Quinzel? Quinzel. <laughs> Quinzel, Mister Mister Mitzel Quinzel. That's Doctor Quinzel Spitlicks to you. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Um, but regardless, no one says her name right ever in this, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but this is like when she encounters the Joker, like just in the streets of Gotham, even before. Any kind of professional, yeah, you know, interaction, and uh, like, uh, and then it leads into her professional. So this is about her story before and becoming Harley. Yes, um, and it's clearly told by her mm-hmm. remembering this. Yes, yeah. So she, like, the narration, she has the knowledge of what happens. Yes, um, but. 
this story is awesome. It is real in that, like, the choice that, like, there's a whole page where she talks about how, yeah, these are the choices that I've made. Yeah. Good choices, and she says, and bad choices, bad decisions. Right? Well, that's kind of a recurring theme of this is, yeah. I know these things now. I right. have hindsight mm -hmm. now, and I had good intentions then, and, well, one kind of has led to the other. Yeah. Well, and I think what it's building to, which is... It's building one to of, witches. <laughs> which is one of the things that I think Harley has had, has suffered from over the years, which is there's a, a huge problem with her not having agency in her own creation. Yes. Right? And this is setting up the story of... Even if the actual moment of her creation as Harley, like where she gets pushed into the vat or whatever, yeah. however they do it in this one, right? Even if that specific action isn't her choice, you get this whole buildup of, but everything that has put me in this position and led to this has been 100% the choices that I made. Yeah. So it it's still earned. You still get that she had her own agency in getting to this position. Yeah. And I think that's going to be super important. Well, and the other thing, too, that I think this does super well is it couches her motivations broadly in empathy. It isn't simply a fixation, an obsession, a romantic interest in the Joker. No. That puts her in the position it does. It is she is studying empathy and the loss of empathy and how that creates people like the Joker, creates Batman rogues, essentially. And I like that framing of her because it does two things. One is it makes her very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also like gives her, it becomes a character trait for her. Yes. It becomes something more than just wrong place, wrong time taken advantage of, back to your point about agency. Mm-hmm. But it is this thing that she is actively pursuing, and she is trying to understand people, and is misunderstood herself in the process of that. We see that repeatedly in the first issue, with she has a romantic encounter with a, or at least a sexual encounter, with a professor in college. Right. Her grades were fine without it. it. Her grades were fine in other classes, but it happened and that created misunderstanding. She feels misunderstood as she's presenting her research and seeking funding. Yep. She feels misunderstood repeatedly through this by Hugo Strange, by kind of everyone around her at mm -hmm. different times. And yet her whole thing is trying to, to empathize and find understanding. And it creates this disconnect that kind of makes sense why she would, why she would down the road because we don't get there in this issue. Right. If she sees this, her research is about having basically a loss of empathy as a result of prolonged fight or flight uh, uh, response. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense why if she'd see in the Joker that he had this kind of empathy, that he views empathy, empathy the same way she does, that there is that kind of recognition yeah. there and not simply obsession. Well, there's, there's three more things I want to say. One is I loved the... You and you brought it up when she's giving her pitch for her research money, right? Yeah, and it's Lucius Fox who's in the audience, uh -huh. right? And he like, there's a point where he just he starts looking at her, and she really feels like she's lost the audience, and like they just don't care, and they're bored. Yeah, and then, and and then later he comes and offers her the money, right? 
from from the Wayne Foundation. And she's like, I thought you were bored. He was like, no, I just heard enough that I knew what you were doing was going to be important. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it made you realize, okay, don't assume you know what other people's motivations are. Yeah. Right? And I think that's going to be something that comes back in this. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah. it's a fallacy in her own thing. Like, she's yeah. seeking, she is seeking to understand empathy, but is not always great herself at knowing what the other person is thinking. Exactly. Second thing is um, that whole, you know, she's, she's looking for or maybe thinks she sees this empathy in Joker, right? Uh-huh. And I think it's super critical that in their first encounter on the street, he literally has a gun pointed at her head and chooses not to kill her. Yeah. And she kind of, I think she's going to kind of read into that, that there is maybe some empathy in him. Well, there's a, there's an irony to it, right? Because Mm -hmm. where she is concerned with empathy, not always great at reading it. He is not empathetic at all. But he understands how people respond. I mean, he says, I left her alive because I saw something in her eyes. Yeah. That I will be in her nightmares from now on. Yeah. He knows exactly. And the overlap, the little bit of overlap in this Venn diagram is like exactly what her research is. It is the way that losing empathy creates. Now. The the final thing, and this is what surprised me probably more than I was, certainly more than I was expecting in this, mm-hmm. and I have thought about this to, just to make sure I feel this way over the rest of the week, this is my favorite Joker ever. You know, you are not the only one who I have heard say that. Uh, I believe I saw, I forget what outlet it was, it was probably like io9 or somewhere like that, that the, sk- quote, the scariest Joker is also the sexiest. Um, Not just that, <laughs> like, this is the first Joker. Joker, I think maybe that I've ever read that where you get, okay, yeah, he is super fucking charismatic. Yeah. No wonder people, I mean, I can, yeah, he's awful and he does all, but like you get what the charm is about him. I mean, he knows how to read the room. Yes. He knows how to work the audience. I think also along those lines, if you go back to that night of the first encounter between Joker and Harley, she's on the street, he's robbed yeah. this armory, he points the gun at her, doesn't kill her, runs off, Batman intercedes, big fight breaks out, it's smoky and hazy and hard to see and eerily silent, and... We've already seen, the first thing we see is this recurring dream she has about being Mm -hmm. basically in a nightmare version of downtown Gotham and seeing monsters fight. And sometimes the monster smiles and has this cavernous mouth and sometimes it's the bat. Mm -hmm. And then we see in this fight, basically wordlessly, the two of them at each other, equally savagely in their own way. And the thing that stands out to her is kind of Batman's cruelty, as she sees it standing in the street. Like, she recognizes why the crowd has sort of the bloodlust to see Batman beat down the Joker. Yep. Especially having just come out of the situation she's in, but beyond just the heat of that moment, like, this is still a man beating another man in the street. And there are two things I think that are important about that sequence. One is, in terms of Joker as charismatic, like, Batman is the uncharismatic one in that pairing. It's in, it's a in that similar situation, yeah. It's a similar yeah. idea, kind of, to what goes on in the White Knight stuff. Yeah. But... I think this is because it's more about the Joker and Harley's perception of the Joker. Like, I think it's clearer here 
in that way. The other thing I think that's cool in all of that is so much of the composition of those panels mirror the actual nightmare sequence. Right. So that these nightmares stay so ambivalent and that that night was so ambivalent are very intentionally connected and I like that and I like that as set up for kind of why Harley falls into this liminal space of her own. Yep. Um, Harley should, I mean, and it's, it's Wayne funding her research. Like Harley on paper is on the side of the angels, but yeah, oh yeah, there's this idea of cynicism and brutality to get what you want. Like her, her friend Shonda is all about, Hey, I'll talk the talk if it gets me what I want. And like, that's sort of the opposite of Harley. And that's also sort of the Batman view, right? Like I will, yeah. I will instill fears in criminals so regular people hopefully don't feel fear right yet she feels it anyway while she's regular people now can we talk about how this book looks i mean i gave a nice segue in on the art composition so yeah let's do but it. there are probably three well i guess one of them is kind of a double thing uh things in particular that just blew me out of the water one is that page where the joker has his gun pointed at harley Arlene. Uh-huh. And it is a it's a double page spread and Harlene's on one side and Joker's on the other and he's got his gun like, you know, reaching across kind of pointed at her. And in the background is all of this her memory strips. Yeah. All right? the bad decisions she's ever made basically. Well, and the good and the good ones. Okay, yeah, so that's got both, right? Yeah. But my point being is just the layout of that uh-huh. is ridiculously amazing well and that around the captions are in it you know yeah i see all of these decisions i've ever made and none of it matters right now right um the second one is a big double page spread of when joker and batman are fighting yeah and batman comes swinging in and joker's there and he's got a knife in each hand and it's just i mean that is just you couldn't ask for like a better wallpaper type pick it is just gorgeous oh i mean there are so many little things in the art like one of the scenes on the street in the confrontation between Harley and Joker is this panel where they're just on either sides and there's this mm-hmm. big gap and there's like skull graffiti on the wall between them. This like impending death looming between them. Yeah. Um, the way that the layout of the certain scenes in the fight between Batman and Joker mirror the nightmare layout that we've already yep. seen at that point. Um, and then the, the last one for me was the very first time she's walking into her Arkham. Uh-huh. She's walking in, and it's it, it, we're like imagine looking from the gates of Arkham down at her, about to walk through them. Yeah, and so you see her kind of looking up, and the shadow that's on the ground behind her is Arkham in like reverse because it's the shadow, but her shadow is Harley, yeah. Harley Quinn, right? There's and a then similar, you, and then oh, and then the very next panel flips around, and you see her walking into the gate, and there's the sun behind Arkham, and it's just gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. There's a similar thing near the end of this issue, too, where she goes in to interrogate the Joker for the first time. Mm -hmm, Yeah. And the light coming from his side of the glass casts down in a way that just hits her, where it makes it look like she's got a mask on that's just showing the lower part of her face, and her eyes shine like an anime, or her glasses shine like an anime villain. It's like she's already sort of masked off and hidden, and not as explicitly Harley Quinn as seeing Harley Quinn's shadow on the ground. Right, right, right. Still kind of getting, playing with similar ideas. Yeah, but his, God, his his dialogue is just fantastic as well. Like, mm. There are also Harvey Dent, or, yeah, Harvey Dent campaign posters and backgrounds of shots where one of the faces has been crossed through. Yes, yeah. 
Um, um, I want to talk about the Harvey Dent stuff in here too, okay? Because I am not, I have never, there has never been a Two Face that I've been super interested in. There's an episode of Batman the Animated Series where the Judge shows up, mm-hmm. and I dig that idea, and I like the way they used Dent with Aaron Eckhart in Dark Knight. But we okay. never got. I mean, it was that was not as much about Two Face as it was about Harvey Dent. Correct. Um, I believe, and I don't know if it was on Twitter or like while he was streaming on Twitch one day or where, but I have read at some point, Shayek say if he does another like prestige black label series like this, he would want to do a two Facebook. Um, well, for God's sake, everybody that can possibly hear my voice, go buy this so he will do another one because this is fantastic. Well, thanks for stealing my thunder, Brian. <laughs> This is the first time I've really, really been like, okay, yeah, no, this is, I like this, this take on Two-Face. I like it because the idea of setting Two-Face and Harley Quinn as oppositional forces never would have occurred to me and works so perfectly here. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, they have this confrontation in the park and both of them are so clearly fleshed out and you get exactly why they're coming from where they're coming from. And neither is wrong, but they are completely diametrically opposed. And then you get just the kind of like flash forward layout at the bottom of the page and you know the one Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. I do. It's like, and in five months, we'd both be killers. Yeah, yeah. Like, the inevitability yeah. of both absolutes here just decaying. If we weren't, it, it, like, if we weren't clear about this, when she's talking to him, it's Harvey Dent. There's no yeah. Two-Face He's not Two-Face yet. Right? yet. Yeah, at right. least, I mean, he hasn't been scarred, at least. Right, right. Now, you do see shadows over the side of his face quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, but it's clearly yes. a, a foreshadowing. It's clearly his, yeah, yeah, his yeah. face pre-injury, yeah. Correct. Um, and I think the problem with Two Face is he always ends up feeling kind of gimmicky. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Turns out Harvey's already kind of gimmicky, and Harley yeah. calls him out on that. Yes, exactly. So it's like lean into it in the right way, and yeah. you know, yeah. I bet that um, coin thing pl- plays really well at campaign appearances. And then, oh my god, the 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 last piece of this where she has watched all of these videos of interviews with the Joker, right? Uh huh. And seen him tell all these different stories and, oh, this is what happened, this is why I'm this way, and this is who I really am, and all the And it's, you know, I've been Red Hood, and I've been uh, Jack Napier, you know, it's like all yeah. these different names and stories and all this different stuff that we've heard. And she's like, this is all bullshit. He's just making up stories for these people, right? Yeah. And so she goes in to talk to him, and she tells him, she's like, I know all this is bullshit. What, are you just going to make something up for me? And he was like, well, uh, you know. Isn't that, you know, I prefer the lies, the theatricality. She was like, well, then why don't you tell me a monster story? And he's like, okay, I can tell you that. But please, call me Jay, right? Like yeah. J-A-Y. Because she's already called him Mr. Joker at that point. Right, yeah, Mr. Joker. And she's like, he's like, no, but please, call me Jay. She's like, oh, very well then, Mr. J. It's like, oh, you know that was coming. <laughs> yeah. Like, Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good book. Yeah. I already know I'm going to be shelling out for the hardcover to sit on my shelf when it's yes, all done. This is, like I said, it, it, it's my favorite Joker ever. Yeah. And the, the, the Harleen is the most sympathetic and realistic version of Harley yeah. I've ever read. Well, and I know I've complained a lot on here about how like alternate universe Harleys are always better. 
This is, I think, the closest thing to a traditional Harley. Yes. That feels fleshed out and like yeah. she has agency and like she's not just trapped in a narrative of victimhood. And I, I think it's going to be a critical thing that we can point to and say, okay, you know what? You can still have the the origin or the point or the thing that you have for a character, but you have to earn all of the decisions that get them there. The context is important is essentially what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love it. Okay. Yeah. For God's sake, go buy this book. (laughs) Moving on. Yes. Black Science, number 43. I do not talk a lot on here about Black Science. I usually check in on it during, is it still good? Um, But this is the last issue. And I just wanted to take a moment to encourage folks to read this. We talk about Reminder's stuff from time to time, although it's been a minute. A little while. Um, I know when Mike was still a regular on the show, he read a good deal of it, and we talked a bit more about it then. Reminder has a tendency, especially in his creator-owned books, to be, to at least seem less than optimistic about life and the world. (laughs) That's a very tactful way to put that. And that is so often his starting point, right? Black Science is probably, in its own way, the most optimistic of his work. Um, And what this book is and has been has evolved a lot over its run. Uh, Both sometimes in ways that were planned and others in ways that weren't. Uh, Originally, I think I read in an interview at one point, originally it was supposed to be about half the length it was. Well... Yeah, and I was going to say this. This definitely falls into that category of that thirty to fifty issue yeah. book range, right? Of a of a ser- of a series that allows it time to grow and change, but it has to stay true to what its original idea was, yeah. or it, yeah. Well, and there's actually a pretty sharp narrative turn kind of in the midpoint of this series from what it has been, Mm -hmm. which is a book about anarchist scientists exploring the multiverse into what it becomes for that second half, which is more about repairing damage and fixing the worlds that they've ruined. Um, And it's been so long since I've read this interview that, that just consider this like highlights, you know, paraphrasing of it. But basically the idea was, you know, what the book needed to be kind of changed so they changed what the book was at a certain point and they started telling different stories and instead of instead of what they were going to i don't think they scrapped it whole cloth but moving into maybe this more well how do you survive after all this how do you go on kind of question there's an almost like therapeutic maybe quality of it in that way right like okay okay, this is what's wrong but how do i cope yeah um and actually i think As much as I enjoy the front half of this series, the back half is what really makes it special, I think. Um, I don't want to get too much into 43 itself and what it does, because it... it, it, The last two issues of this book, which were originally supposed to be a single issue and just they needed more space... Mm Mm-hmm really form like a really form a thesis of okay this is what this has all been about this is the sum total of this and i think it's well done and i think it's very effective and i think it works for both halves of this story um but one of the questions it gets into one of the questions the book as a whole i think is about is if 
everything is possible in a multiverse and the last issue does ask this question how do you find meaning knowing that everything has happened somewhere knowing that everything is on the table both in terms of the sheer frightening scale of that and being locked into the version you're in but also like knowing that in a cosmic sense of things if everything happens then nothing happens how do you wake up in the morning and i think that's kind of what the book as a whole really wants to to dig into it's it's really good i mean again i don't i don't want to dig into the specifics of the last issue especially by myself right but this is probably going to be something that either i make you guys read for a live show or something down the road okay find a way to get people to talk to me about with because i i really dig this book if you haven't read it, there are trades, there are big hardcover collections. I think if you get those, like there will be three total. The third one's out in December, maybe? Maybe this, this sounds like maybe one of our special episodes where we dig through a whole series. We've talked about doing that. If right. we, if we can make that a thing, then this would be, I think, a manageable one to do that with. There you go. Okay. Yeah um but yeah i just i like this book a lot this was actually one of the first creator owned books i got really jazzed about when i started reading comics mm-hmm. um and i've just never talked about it much on here so last chance i'm doing it now nice yeah um that's it that's all black science go read it congratulations reminder and scalera and everyone else who worked on this great safe sex brian let's talk about safe sex okay let's talk about safe sex safe sex is a comic book the title stylized as sfsx it's an image series about a dystopian maybe near future where a conservative political organization simply called the party has taken over at least san francisco we don't really see anything outside of san francisco we don't know how far their roots reach but they've taken over san francisco and uh done things like implement a like a credit score a purity score for everybody oh that sounds absolutely perfect so let's say you and your married spouse have consensual sex Mm -hmm. you then have to file your paperwork and file it within 24 hours each of you that sounds so much like it would put you in the mood (laughs) yeah and let me tell you it it does for characters it absolutely does nothing gets them more horned than bureaucracy Oh my god, can you imagine the exceptions you have to that Hawk Girl has to file? <laughs> there are no exceptions. Hawk Girl would be uh immediately arrested for her contraband contraband contraband. I can speak. Um Hot Girl's Mace, the most evil artifact of all time in the world. Yeah. Um, the And the book is probably like this one specific character who, prior to sort of the party's rise and crashing into her life, was a sex worker and like enjoyed what she did. Enjoyed enjoyed her life, enjoyed everything about it. Um, but kind of could not take the stress of always being on the run. So she and her boyfriend got married and are trying to like quietly live this underground life. So yeah. clearly this is a, this is an evil patriarchy who has taken over this world well, and implemented all this, right? Yeah. So, uh, exactly. Definitely. Mostly. No, um, uh, 
The thing that is, and I'm going to struggle a little bit to talk about this, and I'm I, I, let me say why first. If you read the back matter for this, and I think if you read this, you need to read the the back matter for this. Um, talks about the idea that there is no such thing as completely safe sex. That any sort of any sort of sex, any sort of even opening yourself up to another person comes with risk right and and that doesn't necessarily mean physical risk that means right emotional it could be emotional it could be you know yeah it could even simply be you know hey this will be a headache later because this person's kind of clingy it could be any number of right yes um so writ large like that very clearly is what this book is about just kind of how there is no version of this thing that is without risk the execution of that is that the party is in fact marketing itself as explicitly feminist it is taking the idea that women only wear makeup that women only act in overtly sexual ways publicly, that women only maybe even engage in sex because that's what men want and men have power. So the party's goal is to kind of remove that power and quote-unquote empower women by not letting them do these things. Have you read what the definition of the word empower is? Clearly not. (laughs) Um... And there's enough in this issue of how this world works and these ideas that I don't think, I don't think if you read the issue as a whole, there's any question kind of where eventually down the road it's going with this idea. The issue by itself isn't worried about cramming the whole thesis into it. So I think there are way, there is there are ways to read this and maybe see it as this idea that it is anti-feminist or that it is arguing that, well, you know, just fixing toxic masculinity, you know, trying to find ways to reduce the growth of toxic masculinity to, 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 to give men coping tools and healthy ways to express emotion and all that is not an answer, is somehow just as evil. I don't think that's where the book is going at all um but the first issue is not worried about saying hey i'm not i'm gonna get there right now and make this clear right now yeah um so uh, so what i'm hearing from this is a lot of this could easily be taken out of the possible context that it's supposed to be yeah i mean i think i think it would be easy to take parts of this out of context i also think that like maybe there's a non-zero chance that i've got it wrong i don't think i do because the back matter again the back matter kind of backs up this idea i say back it's a letter from the writer yeah um i will probably come back to this one in trade i like I liked this issue a lot. I will probably come back to it in trade so I can get the whole thing. The whole thing? Yeah. I think that for me is going to be a more satisfying way to consume it. Well, and when I said, you know, things could be taken out of context, it sounds like the whole context isn't even there in this right. single issue. Right. And yeah. I don't think that's a weakness of the issue. I think no, it's, no, no, no. it's not sort of the typical way that this idea would get framed in comics. Yeah. Um, I think this is something a little different, and that is probably in the long run a strength of it. But it makes it a little harder to talk about in the usual ways. Yeah. Uh, I did, you kind of described this to me before we started, and one of the things that I kind of came to was, I find it really interesting that, you know, there's the whole super patriarchy, like kind of like the Handmaid's Tale type government, right? Yeah. And there's this, the party, which is, you know, labeling itself as the feminist side, which are so diametrically opposed to each other philosophically. Yeah. 
but yet they've somehow come to the same decisions in place kind of in this. Yeah. Like this same super ruthless enforcement of conservatism. And it, there's a point where in some ways, in, in some ways, context doesn't matter. Like if you get to the same point, you're still at that same point. Yeah. Right? But yeah, so yeah, I, that's just, that's very, very, and very interesting uh, thing. Yeah, right? there's a lot of really complicated, there are a lot of really complicated ideas in this one. And, and you it, know what, it's just, taking this, its time to explore them. This kind of just came to me, that whole thing you were just saying about, you know, there is no such thing as safe sex because, you know, you have to open yourself up. to. The, and it's really the thought of there's this interaction between two people, right? And they're two different people. Yeah. They have different motivations. They have different thoughts. They have different feelings. They have different expectations, right? All this different stuff. It's almost the same thing with, like, comparing those, you know, two political parties or two different things. Like, they've all got different motivations and expectations. And the only way to really be successful with that is communication. Avengers number 24. I don't have a segue from that into... Races between flaming skull-headed people while gods and monsters gamma blasts other skull-headed people with cosmic radiation or gamma radiation. Anti-segue here. Um, yeah, so this is essentially um, Frank Castle as Cosmic Ghost Rider fighting the Avengers. And, um, of course, because of a complete misunderstanding on Castle's part. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, 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 the first two that he ends up going up against are She-Hulk and Thor. And, you know, he, he kind of starts off with a, a nice uh, uh, big shot at Thor. But I love the whole... <laughs> She-Hulk, like, slams his face down onto Thor's hammer. Yeah. And then Thor calls his hammer back to him so his skull gets ripped off. <laughs> yeah. Either the head of the skull fight independently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's I... just... it's just kind of big goofy misunderstanding yeah. fun right i also love and this is never explicitly st- said mm-hmm. it is kind of teased at but this idea that there's a moment in here where clearly the two of them even fighting alongside each other are maybe a little outmatched by the cosmic ghost rider so they're like okay let's try the new thing and yeah. like oh yeah she charges his hammer with gamma radiation and he blasts ghost rider but this idea that is implicit to that that like the two of them are dating and this is how they hang out and spend time with each other <laughs> is like how can we pull off combo moves okay yeah what are what combo moves can we come up with yeah i love that so much <laughs> it's like yeah oh, that's yeah. what the two of them would do yes oh absolutely you know the other thing i liked in this there's a there's a scene with uh robbie reyes where he's in hell right getting ready to, to get back in the race yeah and all of these past ghost riders show up and i think we've talked about some of these before like there's the cowboy ghost rider and some of these but there's a couple of these that like i was not expecting yeah there's one that is very much like, I mean, he, uh, honestly, he looks like, without obviously a flaming skull for a face, but he looks like Constantine. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> Who's, the, yeah, this, uh, and then there's one who looks like, like, like a, straight out of a 1920s young boy. Like, he's got a baseball and he's got like the. He's a newsie. The, the, he's a newsie, right, yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, some of these are just amazing. Yeah. And how the hell did they become Ghost Riders? <laughs> Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 pretty good stuff. 
Yeah, you know, um, at some point he used that penance gaze on Pulitzer and Hearst. <laughs> and the the rest of this is, you know, more the race, and it's it doesn't even finish, and this one's going to keep going. But uh, it, it's this is this is just kind of good good fun. Yeah, yeah. Powers of Tid, number five. The oh, book boy. we definitely want to hit at the hour mark of our podcast. Oh boy. Um, I guess the best thing I can say about this, and I, I want to mean the best thing. Of like, many positive things. Uh, right, exactly. Like the, the shortest recap way I can think of is this is essentially kind of digging into what we found out in the last one, which is that Cerebro is able to copy the essence in some ways, I guess you could say yeah. the soul of a mutant. And we learn and, its backup schedule. Yeah, and Charles can put it back into a husk, yeah. right? And we essentially find out how he came up with this idea, like where you know where this came from. We find out that Forge essentially built it for him, right? Yeah. Yeah, we find out its backup schedule. And then the other thing we get is how they pulled, the, the history of how they pulled Emma Frost into yeah. this, uh, to get her buy-in to the whole Krakoa mutant thing, right? Yeah. And um, uh, I saw an article about how, you know, one of her main kind of character traits throughout her character's history has been this idea of her leading and protecting and wanting to safeguard young mutants mm -hmm. and their training and how she, once she got involved with scott and that whole you know well, inhuman war thing and even, that all of that even before that i mean yeah the destruction of genosha and her loss right of her students yeah. was i think the main yeah. galvanizing force there right you see it in whedon's astonishing x-men you see it in bendis's uncanny x-men as well of like her putting herself in a position to teach and to help with the kids yep and i think one of the things that you see here is her motivation for kind of buying in once she sees what they're doing is this idea of the future for yeah. mutant kind specifically for young ones and right one more time for the children yeah yeah yeah, essentially. We do get an answer also to your question, which is um how come Atlantis wasn't on that yeah. uh that that uh list, list of, of countries, yeah. right? Um well, Charles <laughs> goes to uh to Namor. Yeah. Yeah, and Namor's like, "Yeah. So what you're saying is you finally realize that you are superior to humans." And now you're going to establish that and take your place in society. Congratulations. Do I look like I've been, like I'm someone who has ever not realized that? Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, not even I'm good. Yeah. I don't believe that you're truly there yet. Uh, yeah, Come back when you've found it. Right. Yeah. So I get the feeling that he's obviously not going to be hostile in any way to yeah. Krakoa, but he's not ready to throw his weight behind it yet. Either, yeah. Is essentially kind of where he's at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate that as quickly as I asked the question, yeah, what about Namor? We got the answer. To <laughs> we got the Namor. answer. Yes, exactly. Um, so I would like to get into once again, trying to make some connections in this where maybe there are none. Sure. It's always great fun. Yeah. So in our <laughs> X to the third or X, yeah, X to the third timeline, the year 1000, mm -hmm. we have for the last couple of issues of this scene, the, uh, uh, shoot, not parallax. Help me, Brian. The phalanx. 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 We've seen the phalanx and heard talk of the technercy and other giant, in this case, other giant, like unstuck from time networked 
hive mind, world mind, hive. universe spanning. Yeah. yeah. Basically, black holes are giant supercomputers, and they're a network that connects across the universe, and they don't have a sense of time. One or two of two things I think are at play here. Okay. So in the broadest sense, I think this is really cementing maybe a theme of immortality. What is immortality? How does it come to be? And what does it mean to be immortal? Mm -hmm. We have the idea of Moira Tin, who is not maybe truly immortal, but has something like Has a sense of immortality about her. Yes. Yes. We have this idea that death no longer matters for the X-Men. Right. We have this idea that... Well, for all mutants, for that matter. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have this idea that sort of socially, kind of taking their place as their own superpower, mutantdom has skirted the implicit mortality of being hunted and is now a player on the field and has power and power through the pharmaceuticals and all right power Mm -hmm. gives them geopolitical immortality yes um all of these kind of ways of going on and ways of persisting and ways of living and then there's this hive mind that consumes information consumes records of culture and spans the universe and this is kind of just glossed over in this issue but does not exist in terms of time like it is unstuck from time Mm -hmm. so that's kind of layer a of this like clearly there's some sort of thesis in here that we're building to that has to do with what does it mean to live on i mean it's hickman of course sure and i mean (laughs) we're dealing with robots we're dealing with characters who live for hundreds if not thousands of years Mm -hmm. we're dealing with all of those things too and you say it's hickman of course it is but hickman's thesis for his avengers run was and i quote everything dies no i didn't say it was happy or good i just said yeah but no like it's not always about things living on with him Uh, correct yeah Yeah. right right, okay i see what you're saying um this is i think maybe in contradistinction to that in a way uh because you see kind of living immortally sort of requires a death of self every version of immortality in this moira has to die to live on right the x-men die frequently now that they can't die permanently right um there's sort of a death of charles as individual self he has to team up with magneto and apocalypse and emma he cannot go it alone well and there's a a death of ego maybe yeah there's a specific thing where it talks about how um yes uh a a, like a, a backup a, a husk or whoever can be restored, or you know, a body can be restored to a previously saved version yeah. of someone, but it takes an incredibly skilled and experienced with this particular procedure person to be able to do that. And then it notes, uh, Xavier has done this three times. Yeah. It's like, oh! Yeah. Mm. Also, what kind of situation makes him say, nope, gonna go back to previous save point? Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, clearly gets learning yeah, well, some knowledge game. he doesn't want. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I'm totally, I'm totally <laughs> getting vibes of, oh, well that didn't work, let's reload that save game and try to see Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially with all the X-Men backed up to the cloud. Right, exactly. Um, so that's kind of idea one, this sort of immortality, loss of self, sense of self thing. Mm-hmm. Here's idea two in more like specific plot terms. We have an entire cloud database of all mutants. 
Uh-huh. Ostensibly, that includes Moira, although maybe, maybe not, because she has oh. her own no space and is definitely going to be a different kind of mind to absorb. Right. But regardless of that, we know there is this tool, and I've mentioned this one before, that let her absorb this whole database from the hundred year th- point in time. Mm-hmm. Surely that could work both ways. And we already have, funny enough, after I mentioned that, we learned we're uploading mutant brains into computers. Mm-hmm. So surely there's a way to get her there. Um, would you describe Moira's general worldview, uh, general life experience as not bound by time? Follow up, the technocy is not bound by, or whatever these, you know, minds right. inside of black holes are, are not bound by time. What if this whole thing is an origin story for that? And this giant un stuck mind started as all these mutants in a database that eventually had moira added to it and oh. no longer exists in linear time oh what if she lives 10 maybe 11 lives not because she is killed as a child but because she goes subscription as a service <laughs> Um, that's super interesting in a couple of ways because it makes me think of a couple of things. One is um, there's a there's a page in the back that talks about these black hole societies, yeah. right? And like there, it, it, if it's a single black hole, and by the way, th- these are the reason they're black holes is the the amount of knowledge and the density of the computers that have been achieved and built are such that the density is so great that it forms a black hole. Yeah, which is interesting right. because Forge talks about needing functionally infinite storage to actually yes. over time do what Xavier wants. Right. And uh, they're using... Shire data crystals. Yes, which are yeah. not technically infinite, but a black hole Correct. would be. Yeah. So... A, a, a single entity of this that is a black hole is called the Titan. Yeah. When there are like three or four of them linked together, those become a stronghold. And then the and Titans generally exist on their own and are happy to just be who they are. Yes. Um, they would prefer they that be- you remember the Titan. <laughs> there you go. Once they become a stronghold that talks about how, unlike them, they're not lone wolves and they seek to expand, like they become then conflicting. And, and the fact that yeah. they have conflict, right? And they execute um, then an attack on Titan. There you go. <laughs> uh, and they will take over Titans or other strongholds in an effort to become what's called a Dominion, which is when there are more than like five or six connected together. And in some cases, you know, maybe thousands connected together. So some of them are super huge. But I did think the reason I brought all that in is it specifically then mentions that really the only thing that dominions fear are what they call primal threats which are like galactus and the phoenix and yeah and the singular universal manifestations of life the phoenix force right which are who are like primary universal size villains for the mutantdom in the yeah. Marvel universe, right? Um, Forces of nature less than entities. Yeah. The other thing that your supposition gives me is one of the unique characters that we know that comes from this Technarcy uh, 
that has to do with the phalanx and whatever this larger whole construct is, right, is Warlock, uh-huh. who, when he first appeared, was felt like he could be a splinter of something so much bigger that just didn't understand or couldn't deal with what this larger thing had become. Yeah. And so there's this, and the fact that, you know, he joined the New Mutants, a young mutant group who, you know, was going to be the next great promise of the next generation of mutants and this whole thing of maybe he's a seed or an impetus to cause some sort of change i don't know now brian which two books have hickman's name on them after powers and house end Mm -hmm. um x-men and x-men new mutant yeah 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 who knows i mean especially with cypher being a major figure in these books yeah yeah. And there having been no real mention of Warlock yet, and all this phalanx technarchy stuff going on. Okay, so one of the books we didn't talk about this week, I don't. maybe I didn't even put it on my thing. Oh, shoot, you did. I think I just failed to copy it over. We can, we can okay. get into it if you want. Is um New Mutants, what was it called? Uh, New Mutants War Children. War Children, that was it. So, uh, New Mutants War Children. This is written by Chris Claremont, but it is an old school, like, back-in-the-day New Mutants story. Yeah. Right? Which kind of stands alone, but very specifically... There's a super key piece in this that Warlock bonds with Cypher in this. Warlock's and they become been bonded with Cypher for a while. No, no, no. I, I understand. But my point is, this is the one that w- where we see that happen. Oh, we never saw that before. And, well, I find it super suspicious that they decide to deliver this kind of one-shot story where this happens uh... now. Like, maybe it's kind of a gentle reminder of, yeah, by the way, remember, Warlock is bonded with Cypher. I mean, you saw the young variant for the last House of X, right? No. Conveniently, within arm's reach. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, then. It is Warlock coming out of Cypher's arm. So... I love it very much. Have, this, uh, I love Warlock so much. I want a lot of... Part of this is me being optimistic for a lot sure, of Warlock sure, sure. content. But you know what? That's I think that's one of the great things about Hickman books is it's so much fun to speculate where he's going and what he's doing. Yeah. Well, he, he, his stories lend themselves to that, kind well, of. It's He's so structural and he is right. so clearly intentioned that we may be wrong. We may be right. adding pieces up together incorrectly. But sure. all these pieces are there for a right. reason and will add to something. Yes. He, he, the point is, he gives you clues and puzzle pieces, right? Whether you put them together correctly is your own yeah. issue, right? As opposed to the, yeah, okay, there was no way you could see that coming, is, that you get in some stories. Yes, some stories that I will not say the name of right here <laughs> and right now, but that everyone who hears the tone of my voice should know I'm thinking of. <laughs> I know what you're thinking of. I bet I do. I bet I you so do. Bet I do. I bet you do. Uh, I bet you do. Um, oh, I don't have it on here. As a as a quick aside, and then we move on. Did the diagram of power of, of who sits in the seats for the Council of Krakoa remind you at all of Black Monday Murders? Oh, super super <laughs> much. Yes, yeah. Brian just texted me. You have to ask. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Brian just sent me a text message to ask. Title of book? Question mark. <laughs> yep, yep that that's the one. When you said what you said, you knew you were baiting me into talking about that. Let's not pretend that was not your end game. 
I don't know what you're talking about. My frustration uh, with that book is inevitable. Yes. Anyway. All right. Uh, that was an end game w- joke because that's what Thanos says. He is inevitable. Uh, I, yeah. Yes. Okay. I understand. All right. Uh, Powers of X number five though. Oh, I, I mean, we don't have to say it's good at this point, do we? Like, no. We've, we've we've talked about every one of these and. Hey, Brian. Yeah. We only have one more issue of each of these books. I know. <laughs> How wild is that? We're already there. Like we're. I know. Also, like I'm gonna say it now because I know that both of the next two issues have gone to print. Like, good on Hickman and company for Thank getting God everything you, yes. out on time. Can you? Can I tell you? Twelve well, issues mean... in twelve weeks. Some books can't do twelve issues in two years. Do I need to send you another no. question? Because I know what it is. No, I don't normally throw this much shade. I'm punchy, okay? <laughs> um, I, you know what, though? I Honestly, I don't think they had a whole lot of choice in this one because of the launch of so many of the new yeah. book launch. Like, it had to get done so that those could go out. Yeah. But regardless of that, yeah, super, super kudos to them. And I'll give, and to Marvel. Yeah. Just publishing in general because they they did it. They got them out, and do you see how amazingly wonderful it was that they did? Yeah, I mean this yeah. is. Hey, publishers, get your shit together well, and do it well, because it works so much better. I mean, I'm gonna step that co- that comment back a hair in what I'm saying, but like there are unavoidable circumstances. I guess there are, and also yeah. pulling off this kind of scale mm-hmm. at this schedule, like. I'm joking about the whole some books can't do 12 issues in two years thing. Because yes. really, truly, like, pulling off 12 issues in 12 weeks is just an extraordinary, an extraordinary feat. Beautiful. Um, and, like, no way is it sustainable as oh, an no, ongoing long-term thing. Not with this kind of consistency of who's working. At, like, you have to start farming things out to multiple teams. Hmm? But... Doing this, doing like Avengers No Surrender and Avengers No Road Home, those kinds of things when they happen are just so cool and impressive and like exciting that when they happen, it makes me happy. Yes. It, it, my point is like, take a look and see how well this works because it does. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Strike Force number one. <laughs> this was a fun book. I did not this in, was... I did not know exactly what to expect here. Because it's not a I lot of characters either. that I'm super into. And it's not it's not really picking up any storyline we've explicitly seen other than there are some kind of like ties to War of the Realm, which were not made explicit really. A little oh, in, yeah. in, in loosely, like marketing loosely. material. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. Like right. the destruction of the Black Bifrost is relevant to what happens. This. Correct. Yep. Um, I mostly picked this. I entirely picked this up. Let's be honest, because it's Teeny Howard writing, and mm-hmm. I like what she does with this issue. This is um, every once in a while you get those those books that are like these characters don't belong together, but then because of that, it kind of works. Yeah. This may be one of those. Yeah. And I say maybe because it, it it it's one issue. It's still early, right? Yeah. But there, that potential for it to work that way is definitely there. Yeah. Well, and we've got kind of a mystery vibe to start it off. Mm-hmm. And we actually started off very much like Ed Mania Res, but with the Avengers coming in. Yeah. And for the first half of the book, it's like an Avengers book. And then this group of characters, which is, it's Bucky and Angela and Wiccan and... Spectrum. Spectrum. Blade. 
well, Spider Woman. Spider Woman's the other one because Blade is brought in by the Avengers to like Correct, investigate, right, yeah. and he basically breaks the others out. And is like, yo, it's evil. Let's go fight it. We can't tell the Avengers. Yeah, and there's a reason why they can't tell the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh and also like Bucky complaining about being hungry is just very funny to me. <laughs> Like, this is the thing I like so much about Teeny Howard doing things like this, is these super self-serious characters. And Okay, Jessica Drew is not that, but a lot of these usually right. are. Yeah. Get to be funny. She's very good at making serious characters funny. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to read in the in the back, there is, like, what what, what is normally going to be the recap page, yeah. right? It is a character portrait of each of these, and like a little blurb, like who they are underneath it. You know, we've seen this kind of thing before, yeah. right? Um, so we, we have uh, Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier. Captain America's former sidekick turned brainwashed Russian spy turned hero. Got a fancy metal arm, not afraid to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Angela. As Guardian Prince is stolen from the cradle, raised uh, angelic assassin, her ribbons will beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Blade is half man, half empire, occasional avenger, constant badass. Um, but then we get into which the ones that are my favorite, which are uh, Spider-Woman. Childhood experiments gave her spidery superpowers, including pheromone manipulation. Now a superhero and a mom. Didn't need a man to get pregnant. Certainly doesn't need you. <laughs> <laughs> we get Wiccan, who is dream child of Scarlet Witch and Vision, destined to someday become the sentient life force of the universe, currently still figuring out how to do his laundry. <laughs> And Spectrum, which is my favorite, just for you, Alec, turns uh, into any form of energy along the electromagnetic spectrum. Once led the Avengers, don't give her a crossbone, crossbone, crossbone about it. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect character description is perfect. (laughs) Exactly. And, like, that's just a, like, that little taste is is the the humor you'll get from Teeny Howard doing this kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, turns out mm, Blade might have made a mistake at the end, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, Oops. whoopsie doodle, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. There's a seventh character description there on that last page, and we won't read it because it will spoil that whoopsie doodle. <laughs> yes, it will. Uh, yeah, this is fun, though. Like, I, I would definitely say, uh, you know, if, if you're thinking about it, give it a try. Yeah. It's, it's kind of in that same sort of Savage Avengers vibe where these these characters should not be fun together, and yet... And yet they kind of are, yeah. I mean, it's issue one, kind of hard to give a, a full recommendation yet, but... Yeah. Because it's early, but good start. Yep, Dr. Mirage, number two. We didn't talk about one when it came out because it was Dragon Con. Um, I do not know the character of Dr. Mirage super well. She showed up in Incursion, I think it was called. The four-issue, uh, like, Geomancer and Eternal Warrior miniseries that I read earlier this year. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, in this, she is, the first issue is very much like, she wakes up and is by herself in her house, like, which is by design, like, she's cast a spell where no one can find her there. And this girl shows up at her door, which immediately freaks her out, because, well, no one's supposed to be able to find her, like, Mm -hmm. the place should basically be, like, Doctor Who perception filter invisible to anyone. And the girl's like, yeah, your dead husband who you can't hear, I hear him and he's telling me we're both dead and need to get back to life. And the first issue is kind of dealing with that. This issue is a little bit still coming out of, of Shan's response basically, well, no, 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 I'm not dead and he's not talking to you. I'm gonna merge our perceptions so that I can see what you're seeing and figure out what's actually up because it's not us being dead. Right. Uh, and then we kind of get a flashback to, cause he's been dead. He's been a ghost, her husband. Um, 
And we get a flashback to her pissing off this ancient sorceress uh, by trying to bring him back to life and it going wrong. Imagine that. We don't see exactly how it goes wrong, but I bet the two are related. Okay, penalology tip for the week. Don't try to bring dead people back to life. It never works out. <laughs> Especially not if your name is Peter Parker. The more you know. <laughs> Um, this is Magdalene Visaggio writing, so it is good, quippy dialogue. It is snarky and fun, and, like, I love Dr. Mirage being like, yes, yes, I know I should not do this, but I'm gonna bring you back to life, damn it, so stop telling me not to. Um, it's, it's, it's great dialogue. Okay. Also, the art, this Nick Robles art with with Jordi Belair colors is so like just pitch perfect for this book um it has this like kind of bright jewel tone quality throughout but then when shit gets weird just geometry breaks down and worlds overlap and the colors go technicolor and it is wild and wonderful and I love this very much nice yeah so uh read the thing read the thing it's very good it's five issues um i think the trade's out in december no the last issue's out in december the trade should be out beginning of next year yeah but strongly recommend okay relics of youth number one which is on the list to talk about a because it's good and b because brian meant to read this one and forgot it and now i'm just gonna torture him for it yeah this is the book we uh, have talked about a couple of times before uh, in solicitations. And then I think once we straight up are trying to remember what it was called, the book about kids who wake up with tattoos right. and memories of an island. Yes. It's called Relics of Youth. Relics of it's Youth. It's this there book. We We're talking about it now. Came out. When, last Wednesday. Yeah. Um, from Vault. It is... The first issue is a little bit like meaning everyone kind of get. There's sort of a page that's a slice of everyone's life, really broad stroke. Bringing the group together to sort of figure out what is this island we're all dreaming about? Where do these tattoos come from? They get to... Like, a lot of stuff actually happens in this first issue. It's it's really good at kind of introducing, getting out of its own way, getting into the meat. Nice. Um, by the end of the issue, they've all met. They've made it to the island. Uh, they're sort of leader has found out kind of the what more is it play uh, they may all be the descendants of ancient warriors tasked with protecting mystical weapons and also some evil business people are there to find the fountain of youth which they have to protect oh sure yeah <laughs> a lot happens here <laughs> Oh, sure. Um, I think this gives you, if you get just this issue, I think it will give you a good taste of A, is this going to be your thing? And B, what are you getting into? All right. Um, I like this a lot. And Brian, you should make sure you pick this one up. I will. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to get I this. know you are interested in this one just at solicits only. Mm -hmm. It delivers really well. I good, 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 good. Okay. Uh, is it still good? What you're going to do just so quickly. Yeah, let's blow through these. Bad reception number two, Brian. Um, we find out why this is going to be the worst writing reception of all time. All right. Angel number five. <laughs> Angel's got a gun. Faithless number six. Uh, Faith makes her deal with the devil and the six issue miniseries will come back sometime in 2020 with a new installation. Batman Beyond number 36. Uh, Batman, well, Melody, 10, and The Flash team up to stop false face and split and we see the new batwoman steal a bat suit batman curse of the white knight number three batman and a pregnant harley quinn team up to investigate 
the mystery behind Asriel's appearance. Dial H for hero number seven. Uh, this issue is basically a series of... No, I'm not talking to you, phone. Um, series of... Series of what? Yeah. This issue is basically a series of, like, checking in with these different Dial H heroes who have popped up in Metropolis, uh, with a through line of maybe the greatest hero to ever grace the DC universe and their identity being revealed. All right. The Flash, number 79, Brian. Um, uh, Flash is too late to... stop somebody and we may have been focused on the wrong villain the whole time justice league dark number 15 uh it's a total eclipse of the heart or at least of magic wonder woman number 79 brian um this issue this this issue may finally make alex happy uh fingers crossed for a dead steve trevor omni number two (laughs) let me clarify that issues crossed for steve a dead steve trevor dead in the arms of a dead scott summers uh omni number two The doctor finds a way to clear a young powered man uh, for... You're, you're just laughing at that image, huh? No, when you said the doctor, all I could think of was the doctor was the mother. Oh. Yeah. No, the doctor does not stand on a block of ice. Uh, the doctor finds a way to clear a young black man with powers for the shooting of another cop, which it turns out was perpetrated by a cop. Strangelands, number three. Uh, let's say things go boom. Uh, the White Trees, number two. This is the end of this two-issue miniseries. It's two um, So no spoilers, but everyone finds their kid. Absolute Carnage, Miles Morales, number two. Miles fights back against his symbiote. Amazing Spider-Man, number 30, Brian. Um, we find out exactly. Peter saves a couple of kids, um, but realizes he may not have been fighting who he thought he was. Ghost Spider, number two, Brian. Um, Gwen starts her her college career at ESU, and we find out somebody got released that she's not happy about. Queen of Bad Dreams, number four. There's a time to play politics, and there's a time to not. December 2019, solicitations. That's right. <laughs> if you're keeping track at home, we skipped November because Dragon Con, so we may talk about a couple of number twos here. By we, I mean me, because Brian doesn't <laughs> have any on his list. Spoilers. Correct. Brian. <laughs> yes. I am given to understand that you can sell me a body. Um, oh, yeah, no, no, if I you can want s- to talk about, oh, I can sell you right, a body number right, one. Right, right, right. Um, this is uh, this is IDW. Um, Ryan Ferrier is uh, writing this, and the solicitation is is clearly what grabbed me with this, which is, um, are you dead? Denny Little can help. A disgraced TV psychic can put your soul in a living body for a price, and of course things go badly, and now somebody's after him. Yeah. <laughs> But just the idea that it's a TV psychic that can take dead people's souls and put them in living bodies, like, okay, that's got to take a look at. (laughs) (laughs) And with that title, I can sell you a body. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There's a joke about fake Rolexes in here somewhere. I don't know what it is. I don't either, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, Project Xmas number one. Um, so this is a, like a, a mystery Christmas gift. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, this is image. Um, it's from Mark Millar and one of the covers is being done by Frank Whiteley and 
Um, it's Mark Millar and Netflix have teamed up to give you a perfect Christmas gift, the sequel to one of the most beloved Millar World projects since the dawn of time. That and the fact that Quietly's doing a cover uh-huh. really makes me wonder if it's a Jupiter Circle issue. I have not Maybe. finished Jupiter's Circle and Jupiter's Legacy. Yeah. Or Jupiter's Legacy could be that one, too. So I don't know if Dawn of Time plays into there. Dawn of Time makes me think Chrononauts, but in October, they're releasing all four issues of Chrononauts Volume 2 on the same Wednesday. Oh. So it's probably not Chrononauts. Well, but this says it's a, it's a, right, it's a new, the sequel to, so maybe it is more Chrononauts. I don't think, because the whole thing about the Chrononauts dump is they're releasing the whole thing at once. Yeah. They couldn't say that if they were then turning around and releasing another issue in December. Mm, Okay, maybe so. Most Beloved makes me think Huck. I don't know what that has to do with Dawn Mm. of Time. Yeah, I I don't know. Anyway, the point being, whatever it is, I mean, it's probably going to be pretty good, right? And it's it's, it's a fun little Christmas, it's exactly what they say. It's a fun little Christmas gift that it's a bit of a surprise. Let's find out. And if you wanted, like, a sweet Christmas issue of a Mark Miller book, it has to be Huck. Well, that would be a good choice, yeah, that's fair. Um, My my point being, keep on the lookout for this, because it's probably, you know, not going to be... Since it's not known, you're not going to hear a lot about it. Yeah. We don't know what it is. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man, number two. So <laughs> this is, in November, the return of Dragonfly Man at Ahoy. This is the second volume of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, slightly different title, Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man. But continuing where that left off. Year of the Villain. Various books. Yeah, so there's uh, there's three of these that are coming out in December. There is Hell Arisen, uh, Harley Quinn, and Ocean Master. Now, um, to be fair, Harley Quinn is not Year of the Villain. Harley Quinn is Villain it, of the Year. Villain of the Year. Written by... One Mark Russell. Panelology favorite, Mark Russell. Who yeah. is also writing Harley Quinn number 69 in December. <laughs> yes, yes. Um... Uh, there's another one, the Ocean, Ocean Master, which like off af- after that miniseries with him and, and with him and Mara. Uh-huh. I mean, it was the Mara miniseries, but he featured prompt like I that character really had a lot more potential coming out of that. Agreed. So this could this could be really really good. And then Hell Arisen is this one sounds super cool. And this is the first of a four issue miniseries. Yes, yeah. Um, and this is um, you know, Lex Luthor has raised Perpetua now. Uh huh. And Perpetua stands on the brink of just, you know, destroying and then recreating the universe and the image that she wanted it. Yep. And essentially Batman and Superman have failed. So, and the Justice League have failed. Because this is also, this is coming out of Justice League and out of Batman Superman. Correct. Out of both sides of that. And so the only team that thinks that they have a chance of stopping it now is the Batman who laughs and his, is his team of infected. Yes. And that sounds awesome. So it's essentially villains against villains. Yes. Yeah. We uh, also get the last two of the infected one-shots. Oh, yeah, we do. Deathbringer and the Commissioner. Mm. So, I mean, the Commissioner, do we even have to... That kind of title kind of gives that one away, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, I mean, Deathbringer. It's, it's a Donna Troy book. You think I'm not going to get it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Come on. No question there. Correct. Uh... 
I think the DC book I am the most excited for in December. And holy hell, I never would have expected this to ever in the history of time <laughs> be the DC book I've been most excited for yeah. ever. Uh-huh. But you put Tom Taylor on a book, Suicide Squad number one. Yeah, Suicide Squad's relaunching and Tom Taylor's helming it. How about that? How about them apples? Yeah, that's certainly going to be worth a uh, look at. Yeah. No question about it. And from what I have read, the team will be living up to its name. It will be like revolving door old school. Old school people actually die. Yeah. 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 Um, but Tom Taylor, that's really all I need there is Tom Taylor. Uh-huh. Brian. Yeah. The Low Low Woods. So this is uh, Carmen Maria uh, Machado. Or Machado. Um, and this is in the new... Um, uh, I, I'm trying to remember what they call this. The Hill? The Hill House? Yeah. The Hill, it's... Uh, shoot, now I can't remember. Well, it's, it's the new imprint. They announced, right? they announced like a, an imprint, and then like two weeks later, they're like, well, we're not doing imprints anymore. It's just all going to be Black Mask. Okay, so Hill House Comics yeah. is what... Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's, par- it's part of the set of horror books that Brian Hill is either writing or curating yes. in the same way that the young animal stuff has been gerard way but like it's getting folded into black label in the same way that the all the right. sandman stuff is being folded into black yep. label and all the young animals being folded into black label yeah. and it's just all black label now correct correct um but this is essentially a new horror comic yep um specifically it talks about it being body horror comic and um the f- thought of uh, a horror con- just I, I don't know just there there was just a vibe about it when i read the solicitation yeah and the art that I, the preview art that i saw for it yeah that was like oh this has the potential to be really really good and don't be surprised if you hear about this come um, next boot time. spoilers yeah. brian yeah i know new year uh, by the way it's 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 a six issue miniseries cool yeah New Year's Evil number one. Uh, it's the DC holiday yeah. anthology, goofy stories, short stories book. Yeah. All right. Over at Marvel, twenty ninety nine one shots. Uh, Spider Man, so got... Ghost Rider, Doom, which just has Venom next to it. Chip, Chip, and Venom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and Omega, yes. which is uh, yeah. Um, but essentially, these are you know Marvel had its twenty ninety nine line. Yep. Uh. Quite a while ago. Holding and the line at 2099. There you go. Um, and they were interesting, right? This was the future where Alchemax was the big evil company and, you know, all of that. Um, these are all one-shots, so there's no super big commitment to this. Um, the the thing that really pulls me in is Chip Zdarsky's writing the Doom 2099 one, yeah. so, you know, I, I won't pick that up. I get the sense from the Spider-Man solicitation for December that this might spin straight out of there. It could, okay. Which would make yeah. sense, because yeah. Spider-Man 2099 is the most persistent vestige of the 2099 yeah, universe. Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. Um... But yeah, this just, so this should be this should be fun. Cool. Uh, incoming number one. <laughs> this is Marvel's big. I don't know. I, I guess the kind of the the next of what they you know they did Legacy. Yeah. However, a while ago, right? This is the next big one shot that's going to launch the future for the next year or so for Marvel. Yeah. I I mean, okay, look, straight up, I'm gonna get this. There's no question. I'm gonna read yeah, it. Yeah. I mean it's one of those if you're into, you know, the whole universe of a of a DR period strange number one. <laughs> uh I mean it's a it's a new Doctor Strange run being headed up by Mark Wade. Yes. But 
The fact that it is DR period strange is relevant. Why is it relevant, Brian? Um, because he's a medical doctor again. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his, uh, he's got his hands back. He can be a surgeon. Yep. Like the a surgeon. Is, shh, shh. Now the question is, does he want to be or should he be? Yes. Hmm. Something, something should. Something, something could. Something, something should. Yeah. Thor, the worthy number one. Uh, this is this is Walt Simonson coming back to write a one shot that is just a celebration of of Thor being Thor and being worthy again and now being the All Father and yeah yeah it's just just Walt Simonson getting to getting to play a little bit and say I'm so happy look at Thor <laughs> he made it yeah it's gonna be good <laughs> yeah it's it's Walt Simonson throwing Thor a congratulation party is what it is. <laughs> Indeed. And if there's And I, I, I want to go to that party, so I'm gonna get it. Yeah. <laughs> and if there is anyone qualified to do it other than say Jason Aaron who's been doing right. it lately. Yeah. It is indeed Walt Simonson. Walt, yes, indeed. Morbius number two. Mm-hmm. Morbius the Living Vampire. Admittedly not a character I normally pay a lot of attention to, but a writer I pay a lot of attention to. Vita Ayala. There you go. Yeah. That's it. That's enough for me. That's it? Okay. Yeah. Number one is out in November. I will be grabbing it then. We didn't talk about it because we didn't talk about November solicitation. Fair enough. But fair here enough. we are. All right. And uh, last one. I am absolutely stunned brian that this is not on your list is it a number two it is that's probably because i did i forgot oh. and didn't mention it yeah i forgot to look for number two hey brian yeah do you know who is taking over deadpool i do know who's taking over deadpool yeah kelly thompson yeah. is taking this is, over this deadpool. is this is gonna happen this is gonna be a yes brian's getting this and because i love kelly thompson <laughs> Do okay. Remind me. Have you read all of her comicsology Jessica Jones series yet? Uh, I have read. I think I've got like two issues left. Have you gotten to her writing Elsa Bloodstone yet? Yes. Do you know? Done. Sold. Like hundred percent. Do you know who uh, is coming in as a supporting character as Deadpool fights the King of Monsters? Is there a way I can get this book now? <laughs> no. Damn it. <laughs> Deadpool and Elsa Bloodstone. As if I needed more reason to buy this book. <laughs> I love Kelly Thompson writing characters that don't seem like Kelly Thompson should be writing those characters because she always does an amazing job. I could not think of a single character Kelly Thompson shouldn't write. Yeah, that's kind of my point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Chris Bacalo is on art. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean. I don't need to say nothing. I don't even remember secreting this one into the world, and yet it seems exactly like the shit we would secret into the world. Oh, it does. Yes. I think the world secreted us. How about that? (laughs) Wait, we were in Soviet Russia all along? There it is. I I was like, Alex is so going to bite this one. I was like, that was like fishing. I was like throwing the bait out there. Watch this, watch this. Ah, There it is. (laughs) Yes, well, you are in fact a master of baiting. Next week's books to read there. Next week's books to read. <laughs> yeah. Black Terror number one. Uh, this is, I believe, Dynamite. It is on my list because Max Bemis is writing it. Uh, I really dug his Moon Knight run. And this kind of gives me some Moon Knight vibes with the sort of what's real, what maybe in this character's mind. Gotcha. Like, like yeah. what? Yeah. 
Um, and I think that, that that's something Bemis writes really well. So I will definitely be checking this one out. Brian. All right. Mm-hmm. Nomen Omen number one. Yeah, this is uh, Marco Bucci. Um, and uh, this is uh, Becky Kumar is a, we talked about this in solicitations. I know. Yep. Becky Kumar is a geeky 20 year old from New York who is about to cross the veil into uh, uh, supernatural ish type stuff. And uh, yeah, I, I, it sounds interesting and the art looks beautiful it's uh i i i'm gonna so butcher this name so badly um yakapo kamagni i yeah i don't know but it looks gorgeous is all i can say from the cover from what i've seen yeah i want it excellent well i'll get it soon you shall have it yes i shall and yeah all i right. think i think yakapo kamagni is a solid solid stat okay. at that name thank you yeah. If we're wrong, we're both wrong. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. One more. Ghost Rider number one. I am not what you would traditionally call a huge Ghost Rider fan, but I think the stuff involving all of the Ghost Riders right now in the Marvel Universe is pretty interesting. So I am going to give this a go, and Ed Brisson is writing it, and I yeah. often enjoy his writing. Yeah, that, that's a that's a selling point for it. Yeah. Definitely. And I believe that will do it for us this week. All we right. would like to thank Chase Parker for our intro voiceover. You can visit us at panelologypodcast.com if you want to submit questions for us to answer on the show. If you would like to support us, you can do so by sharing us with friends, enemies, strangers, people you're entirely apathetic toward, anyone really. Uh, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash panelology. You could buy merch with our logo, logo on it at bit.ly slash panelology cheap merch if you want more of me you can listen to minds at yerk the bi-weekly animorphs reread podcast i do with jen and meg and tim uh or you can listen to the rob thomas no not that one Robcast, where we talk right now about veronica mars so i will not be here next week um so I know Alec and uh, our wonderful guest host will do a great job. The week after that will be our spooptacular. So uh, you will be able to uh, get all of your Halloween goodie readings suggestions in. Uh, and then I'll be back uh, in three weeks. And we yeah. will miss you every moment of the interesting time. I mean, I thought that was a given. Did I have to, did I have to be said? Either? Hey. Come on. Sometimes it's nice to it's hear. A, it's, it is. I was going to say, but I do appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Alex. And I'm Brian. You know what? Go read comics. (laughs) 